This is the 67th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Decked app. In this episode, we will talk about some paper legacy played recently, as well as looking ahead to this weekend, which will be the Swedish Legacy Nationals kicking off 5th November. Fantastic. Also, the Basic Land Connoisseur panel returns to talk about the interplay between tranquil colors and monsters from the depths. But first up, some recent legacy paper play. We have been on a short hiatus, as you probably noticed uh, once again it was due to me having too much work uh, hello october november this also means i haven't played but robin has been mostly busy and christopher you have played something really spicy so why don't you kick this one off all right so um, i had just had a super excruciating hard time at uh, the university so i just wanted to you know ventilate some of that on my opponents. So I've been on a real alluring grind recently, but uh, I decided, you know, let's sleeve up good old colorless stacks. So (laughs) I sat at home and just uh, threw together the old deck, like we're getting the band back together. And I'll just run through the list. Yeah, so you can all hear about its, its glory. It's one of the most sadistic decks there are out there. If you're not familiar, it's trying to lock the opponent out and win slowly. But I had some quicker win cons, which we'll go through. So it's 4 Mox Diamond, 4 Chalice of the Void, 4 Grim Monolith, 3 Crucible of Worlds, 4 Serum Powder, because you need to get those really explosive hands with this deck, 4 Trinispheres, 4 Lodestone Golem, 4 Karn the Great Creator, 2 Smokestack, and... According to me, you can't really call a deck a stacks deck without actually playing smokestack. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Is it just prison then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not stacks if there isn't stacks. I thought stacks meant like the thousand dollar solution or something like that. That's what I've heard. <laughs> stacks of cash. Yeah, for me, like a stacks deck and a prison deck. A prison deck is usually more merciful. Than a than a stacks deck. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, prison decks are are good. Stacks decks are just ho- horrendously torturous. A, a lot of games, you're doing really bad things to yourself as well. But you know that your opponent is even deeper down the hole, and you know that's sometimes where <laughs> you have to put your opponent. But then I also squeezed in one shadow spear, and that uh, has something to do with the land, the lands that I play. For Port, for Wasteland, and for Ursa Saga. And this is an addition. I did play a Stax deck some time ago. And uh, I think Ursa Saga is just one of those things that makes this deck a bit more aggressive. Together with a 4 Lodestone Golem, you can really just put on an insane clock. At the same time, locking your opponent out. For Mishra's Factory, I brought these bad boys out of the binder. Four Ancient Tomb, four City of Traders, one Caracas, and one Inventor's Fair, which is a legacy staple. <laughs> then in the sideboard, it's just, you know, cards I found and threw together. One Tormod's Crypt, one Unlicensed Hurst, three Leyline, three Ensnaring Bridge, two Torpor Orb, one Defense Grid, one Liquid Metal Coating, one Mycosynth Lattice, one Walking Ballista, and one... Il Tabernacolo della Valle de Pendrel. 
so yeah, this deck is just uh, trying to slow the game down. And then unlike my previous builds of the deck where I enjoy beating my opponent to death with a with a metal worker <laughs> for 20 attacks, I do it in maybe four swings now, which is a bit nicer. So game one, like well, match one, I played against D&T. And this is just one of the matchups you really want to dodge if you're the stacks deck. I mean, your whole game plan is to make cantrips and non-frets kind of uncastable or expensive and dnt is just super fret dense especially now when they have uh, things like uh, stoneforge mystic with caldra it's just such a crazy clock and then uh, they do play a lot of basics so your crucible wasteland plan might not work out as you intended and in one of our games i played against the 80 card uh, yurion uh, dnt in our game too my opponent uh, without recruiters or anything just had their one-off sideboarded kataki in their hand that they just played out turn two and Whoops. i was sitting there like oh man <laughs> this is so bad but yes i i lost that one oh two and it's it was pretty rough games but then in match two i played against delver and game one i get to do the whole stacks thing you know chalice trinisphere and eventually an ursa saga that just makes constructs and one of them gets to equip a shadow spear and i don't know like they're six six seven seven uh, while my opponent is like at two lands and this under a trinisphere so it's it's pretty dark game two we have some back and forth but i'm not drawing any of those haymaker cards in the matchup you know chalice and trinisphere is quite good there it's super key to have those cards so my opponent gets to develop uh, quite smoothly and you know play some frets play cantrips and eventually i get burned out by price of price of progress and a bolt and if you heard my like how my mana looked uh, it's uh, price of progress is pretty good against me back to basics is also pretty good <laughs> against me it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of uh, it's <laughs> No good times to be had there. But then in game three, both me and my opponent keep a seven. I go turn one chalice on one, which resolves. And my opponent wastelands me and passes. And I'm like, okay, I just play my own wasteland and pass. <laughs> you know, if you're the Delver <laughs> player, your opponent resolves a chalice on one and you waste them the first turn. It's so backbreaking if you see a wasteland being played after that. But eventually, you know, I just get another Trinisphere up up and running so i think my opponent played zero spells in game three and uh, when i resolved the crucible worlds that i where i could just start my stupid wasteland lock it's, it's lights out he had one island like basic island but you don't get up to free mana ever so yeah that was pretty nice Match 3, I played against Yeskai Control with Yorian. In game 1, is pretty much a stacks game as well, but this one is a bit more aggressive. I play some Trinispheres, you know, Karn and Saga, and it's it just gets there. Like, my opponent didn't play much magic that game, which we love to see. That's why we play stacks, and, you know, Construct tokens are get hella big. Game 2, my opponent, my opponent just jams uh, Stoneforge Mystic really fast, which gets Cauldra. And I have one removal spell in my whole... Uh, like 75 which is a walking ballista and getting that up to two counters on turn two and shooting the stoneforge and uh, dodging force of will and stuff like that it's not really gonna happen so after a couple of turns my opponent successfully made jam out of me with a cauldra and also a batter skull which they just casually had in their hand as you do yeah like i was sitting there like yeah i might have some time you know it's 5 10 15 but then after, like, I had taken 10, 
He was just like, activate Stoneforge. And the turn, like, yeah, sure. Puts in Batter Skull and then attacks with 10 because of the Stoneforge also. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's rough. But Game 3 is a really cozy one. You know, make yourself a hot cup of tea or chocolate or whatever you're into. You know, it's November now. Grab that favorite blanket of yours. We both keep a 7. I go turn 1 Grim Monolith, Mox Diamond, Lodestone Golem. My opponent does the biggest sigh ever, and it <laughs> resolves. He plays an island and passes. I untap, play a Mishra's Factory, and a Trinisphere, and it gets Force and Negation. And this right. is where I learn, like, my opponent had a free counter spell, but not for Lodestone wow. Golem. So, you know... I bash him for five because Lodestone is one hell of a big creature. My opponent draws a card for the turn. And friends, you guessed it. No second land. So I take my turn. I play. Yeah, like it's so brutal. I play a second Mishra and a Chalice on one. Then I swing with Factory and Lodestone. An opponent concedes. Mm. The, the idea for my opponent was probably, you know, to force a negation, a Trinisphere or Chalice or something like that. And then they revealed their hand, like, double ponder, brainstorm. Yeah, I was just going to say, island ponder, let's go. Yeah, but then, like, turn one, <laughs> turn one, lodestone golem. It's a little bit greedy to let the monolith resolve there, isn't it? Yeah. When and you he only said, have force a negation. He said that afterwards, like, but he, here's the thing. I played Ancient Tomb, uh, Ancient Tomb, Grim Monolith. And he was like, okay, for free mana, I can counter anything that's relevant. And then I mm. played the Mox Diamond. And mm, if he yeah. forced the negations that, I'm just going to jam a Trinisphere or something. Yeah, of course. I, so I agree with that. Yeah, so it, it was maybe some sort of weird sequencing. And he didn't, I, I don't think he saw a Lodestone Golem until mm. that. But yeah, it's brutal. So yeah. match four, you know, it's going to be a, a quick game. I'm playing against Mono Black Reanimator. And this is a good friend of mine. I'm kind of in sync with the kind of magic that he usually plays. And he goes turn one, Delta Pass. And I go, okay, turn one, Trinisphere. And he scoops. <laughs> so of here, course. like, when you're in this situation and you're, you kind of know what kind of uh, weaponry your friends have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was on Esper Vial, which he usually is, he probably wouldn't have scooped right away because he has a lot of ways to get out of that situation. A lot of lands. But I didn't see a Yorion reveal. So I was, like, my spider senses was tingling. I'm like, I'm going to put him on Reanimator or some sort of unfair things. So in game two, I have a pregame effect, <laughs> which is Leyline. And I kept, like, the shadiest one lander ever with, like, Leyline, Chalice, Trinisphere, one port... Crucible Tour mods and Grim Monolith. And I get Fotsies twice. But, you know, eventually I find I find running lands. And uh, the game is just super over. Like, one Ursa Saga killed him. So, yeah, and that was that was pretty nice. So, uh, stacks went 3-1. And it, it was a pretty good evening. I only cast Smokestack once the whole evening. And it was against <laughs> D&T. And it was so bad, that game. Like... I cast it and passed the turn. And my opponent played like a... Um, what's that land? Flagstones. Yeah, the, the flagstones. And I'm sitting there like, oh, shit. This is so bad. If I would run the deck back, I'd probably keep this the smokestacks. Because, you know, if you get to do that once an evening, even if you lose the best of three, you, you whenever you put that suit counter on there, 
it's beautiful it's something special but i would probably put some removal in my sideboard you know like warping whale or something like that perhaps put an led in the sideboard to make the whole hide behind the ensnaring bridge plan better against some decks but uh, yeah it was super fun fun time bringing the stacks and now i now i got it out of my system i love it how it's like i had a really bad day i need to recuperate you know normal people would so as you said pick out their favorite blanket brew themselves a hot cup of tea perhaps watch some cozy tv series you're like i'm gonna sit here and sleeve up the most sadistic magic deck there is and take it to my friends (laughs) at the the (laughs) earliest opportunity People think that you are a nice guy. That's so funny about this. Like, yeah, Christopher, he's such, he's so nice. Like, he's like a nice, cool guy. Always has a yeah, friendly Yeah, he only word. wants to draw cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's... <laughs> that's not true. Looks can be deceiving. That's how you get them. <laughs> like, for people who have, uh, like, just gotten to know me these last maybe three years, have never been mind, mind slave locked by me. Right. I've done a lot of that. And, you know, one of my favorite moments in all of Magic was I mindslaved my opponent which was on Jund and he was like okay so you have the mind slave lock what's your win con and I point at his dark confidant mm-hmm. mm, it's beautiful but yeah sometimes you have to play some of these decks and you know stacks is one of those decks that you you don't see stacks or mud anymore because of the the very strong cards that Stompy has gotten and and stuff like that. So I, I think it's refreshing, you know, to see that stacks can still vibe in a meta. It's just like Trinisphere and Chalice is still <laughs> hella strong. You can put them in any deck and get a good night result. I was thinking about like the the matchup. <laughs> no, not the matchup, more like the, the competition with other evil, mean, make your opponent hate their life decks. Which do you think is best between stacks and pox? I think stacks for sure. Because the thing with pox is even when they when they get you really bad, it's it's rough. But you it's very rare that you just feel like I'm super out of it. When you play against stacks, you can get turn one Trinisphere into turn two smoke stacked, and you will play zero spells that turn unless you have a soul land and i think it's something extremely sadistic about that and like a lot of times like the stack sticks doesn't even find the recursion so like a crucible or something like that they just power out like they cast a serum powder just to have another permanent to squeeze like uh, but but here's here's the real interesting question what's worse between stacks and stasis and i think that's that's uh, closer to uh, you know that's also my kind of jam don't get me wrong but <laughs> i think that's you know when when your opponent just draws a card and they know that it doesn't really matter what they draw that never dies with when you're playing against pox a lot of times but it definitely dies when you're playing against stasis and this deck all right so robin how about you have you done any paper play i was not able to get to the local game store and play the legacy thursday but i have been playing quite a lot of magic at home these last couple of weeks i've been teaching the youngest child to play magic and uh, (laughs) so we've been uh, playing uh, brother against brother uh, with a little bit more easier the brother's war the brother's war is happening (laughs) at my house 
Oh man, who's who's Ursa and who's Mishra? I have not figured that out yet. Oh, but, we'll uh, see. Yeah, this is it's, it's so it's like a dream come true having your both sons play magic against each other, and uh, so I've gotten quite a big interest back in my like casual old school decks. I've been rebuilding them and tuning them and making them as fair against each other as possible, like trying to make a gauntlet that is well matched against each other so that they can have a nice playing experience. Yeah, that is super cool. And I also think like old school, if you can put decks together, I think putting two pretty equally strong decks against each other each other, is quite possible in that metagame. Yeah. So I, I, I do think I have yep. a big approve. So that's what I've been up to. The most important Swedish legacy tournament of the year is coming up this weekend, 5th November, the Swedish Legacy Nationals, which incidentally also is the Swedish qualifier for the European Legacy Masters, so everything at stake here. As regular listeners know, due to a series of highly unfortunate events, everyone on this podcast will miss this key event, which is super strange and super sad, but we will discuss this a bit anyway because we couldn't so what do you say guys how will this shake out what are you hyped for what are your uh, what do you think is gonna happen like the the easy answer here is the hope is on a roll he finished second in one of the tournaments in birmingham and then came home and played the finals in the Norrköping Invasion Store finals, which is an invitational tournament for the, the league that's been going on, which is a multi-format league. And he managed to came, come in second there as well. So he's on a road, and I think he's going to do very well at the Nationals. That's my prediction. Yeah, I, I really hope that he has a, a killer tournament, you know. He's a really good player. I would not be shocked if I saw him in top four at this event. But when it comes to, you know, uh, how things will shake out, I think this is one of the metagames that feels, I don't know, like really hard to predict or define. Because what we've seen these last weeks, especially at the Axiom event, is how like European players demolish Delver decks or big like build decks that just are really good against blue decks and I I wonder if this is going to infect a lot of the metagames like over here in Sweden as well out of out of like four of the three decks of the uh, Axiom finals uh, like both Saturday and Sunday were non-blue decks I think I think it was A&T versus Painter, and then it was Painter versus this uh, crazy Naya Stompy deck that just, it's, it's art. <laughs> Those decks, when people see that, you know, you can build these kind of super aggressive, maybe Naya decks or whatever, I think it might spark some innovation. You know, we we have seen, you know, Ducal Haup's uh, Minsk and Boo variants and stuff like that, but I, I, I think that I think that the metagame will be super hard to define and I'm really excited to see, you know, how the metagame shakeout looks because I'm, I 
I don't think there's going to be a lot of people feeling confident about bringing Delver there. No. And I also think, I mean, building on what you say here, I think the players who show up to this event with some ingenuity and innovation are going to be rewarded for that. Because as you say, the metagame is going to be, I mean, a, a lot of people are just going to bring their favorite, most blinged out deck that they know really well. So you have to beat those people. And those decks are anything from Candelabra of Taunus 12 post to weird stacks decks <laughs> and high tide <laughs> and, and, and whatever. But also you have to beat these powerhouse decks that's come out lately. And the Naya Depths, Minsk and Boo, whatever. Delver. You're going to have to beat that too. You're in Sweden, so you're going to have to know how to beat Elves. It's going to be... Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting top eight. And uh, I'm looking forward to next time we record, discuss which decks showed up there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there are some there are some things, some cards that I think are really underexplored. It's one of those things that really was brought to light at the Axiom event, like White Plume Adventurer from the Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, which is just like a free free for free mana. When it comes into play, you take the initiative, which is one of these dungeon things. And this mechanic was pretty much banned out of Popper because it just totally ruined the format. When I first saw this, you know, I've been doing some, you know, venture into the dungeon with a Serorak, but that's a completely different thing. It requires a lot more setup and it requires, for me, a four mana enchantment. When this thing gets into play, you take the initiative. And if you haven't seen what it does, you should definitely check it out before your next big, big tournament because you might definitely run into some of these cards. And I think they are very real. Time to gather the basic land connoisseur panel. It's been a while and I have been aching for it, as have, I know, many of our listeners. This time we're going to take a look at a deck that has been very strong in sort of the last year or, or so. Green-White-X Depths. Incidentally, a deck that sometimes incorporates one of the breakout cards of late as well, of course, Minsk and Boo, Timeless Heroes. Typically, though, these decks play two basic lands, one copy each of plains and forests. So we're going to go with that. And choosing wisely is important here. Robin, which plains and forest have you got for us? So as I mentioned, I've been back playing a bit of uh, old school and uh, digging up those old decks really made me go back to the roots when it comes to basic lands and I adepts. And I actually took out some of the lands in my green-white Urnam-Geddom deck and <laughs> put them into Naya Depths because I wanted to play them on my Thursdays as well. So my choice is actually both from Unlimited and uh, it's uh, the Christopher Rush Forest with the, the flowers. Like the, the Unlimited doesn't have a, a number, a set number. And the plains is uh, the Jesper Myrfors plains which is a little bit hazy so to say and cloudy like these are very nice looking lands in my opinion they they resonate a lot to me like nostalgic 
Lee lands that I've been playing since I was a child, more or less. And I think they also sort of have the right feel for Nyadepts, because Nyadepts is a white and green deck, but it's not a nice deck. It's not a good guy's deck. It's trying to raise a demon from beneath the ice. Like, you're not supposed to to bring the the most, uh, like... uh, life-full lands, in my opinion, when it comes to Nyadepts, because that's not what the deck is about. So I think these lands are are encapsulating that feeling quite well, and they look really nice together, of course, with duels, which they are printed in the same era and have the same aesthetics. So those are my choices. And those are solid choices, I would say. I mean, you can... Sometimes you can go wrong by just going for these old, old, old basic lands, but in this case, I think they really fit this deck for all the reasons that you say. They would probably fit less if you were a player like me who tries to play the newest version of the card. But since I am alone in that sense, more or less, <laughs> aesthetically, I think it's going to come together really well on the battlefield. Yeah, and I, I agree as well. Like I think what you said with uh, matching them with duels is very real. And, you know, Jesper Mirfors has done a lot of duels as well. Like, uh, I think Tropical, Tundra, Bayou for sure. And maybe there's one more, um, maybe Scrubland, can't remember. But I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, these are both, you know, very nice. But like you said, they're not green happy, full of life, which you sometimes see with plains and forests. Uh, it's still a stone cold killer with a <laughs> big ass horror avatar <laughs> creature just waiting to fall out. So yeah, I, I like these picks. All right. And uh, Christopher, what have you picked? I picked the uh, exact opposite direction. I went with a super colorful and warm <laughs> arts. <laughs> but yeah. my reasoning is more of a kind of meme thing than, uh, than, you know, I think the art in both of your pictures are very nice. And the ones that I picked is from Shards of Alara you know, home of uh, Knight of the Reliquary. I think maybe that's in Conflux or something. It said it's the same block. I picked uh, version 230 for my planes and version 248 as my forest. And the forest, you're just seeing this massive jungle. It's a forest landscape and there's just an abundance of light which comes from that big sun and it, it looks like it's sunset or sunrise. It kind of reminds you, you know, of your Jurassic Park when the sun goes up and the dinosaur comes. Yeah. You should play Allosaurus Shepherd in that deck if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the reason why I picked that one and also the um, planes, it's from the point of view from inside the forest and it's looking out at this uh, kind of open meadow and i'm thinking about you know something either waiting to attack something or some sort of animal or person hiding from something these are both made by sultan boros and gabor oh man zixa uh, zixa <laughs> the reason why i picked these you know a lot of the um, cards that we see in the deck now are new frame and i think it would be nice to have some new frame basics with the deck but the main reason is really that this is a good old hide and seek game where marit is trying to find boo 
and uh, <laughs> the forest is Marit's point of view up in the trees looking for that small hamster and the plains is where the hamster is hiding it's it's not deeper than that so what do you guys think well that's very cool <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't playing magic during like this chateauvelar block so is this like a, a jungle block of some kind so there were there were five shards so there was like grixis naya bant jund yeah, Jund mm-hmm. and Esper. So they all had different themes. And uh, for instance, Bloodbraid Elf is a Naya card. Right. It was mostly played in Jund mm. at that standard. So the jungle theme is Naya. And that's, right. you know, Sudex are Naya. And right. uh, we're like Wild Nakato is from this set. It's like uh, the upgraded Curd Ape, pretty much. Yep. So this is very jungle-ish. And... That's kind of like the feel I'm getting also, like green-white Naya, not green-white Naya, green-white depths have become Naya depths now because Minsk and Boo and Red Elemental Blasts and stuff like that is just too powerful not to play in the meta. So I, I, I wanted to uh, give a small Naya shout out while I was doing this. I like it. So like the Naya theme is, is very on point here and I think like in between the different decks that exist in Legacy, I think that Green, White, or Naya Depths is sort of the predecessor of Maverick, which is some sort of zoo deck when it comes to it. So there's like a, a, a heritage of, of a zoo deck in, in Naya, I think, in some sense. So I like it. No, I like these too. I have never looked at the Naya lands from uh, from Shards. They are indeed super jungly. <laughs> you have to say, this is welcome to the jungle, eh? And as such, I think they are really well executed jungles. Also, the, the real, real, real reason and of course is that you since you're adding red to this deck you get sort of boros colors and one of the artists name is boros and i think that's the real 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 reason why you pick these lands and i am uh, solidly behind that yeah and it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because there is one really green red forest in the set as well so this is the jund forest and it's mm. I just pasted it in. This Very is the volcano Yeah, but that's water. Wow, because it's so red. Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if any of our listeners are interested, it's uh, version two hundred and forty-six. It's the Jund forest, and it's super red. And uh, you know, Jund is a bit more menacing and aggro. So if you just want to know, like, what's the philosophical difference between Naya and Jund, you just look at these these two. Yeah, that's really such a big difference in the in the tone. Your forest really looks like a forest that goes together with a white in in a white deck, so to say. So, Victor, what did you bring us? So, I went the full art unset path here. I went to unsanctioned, where I picked both planes and forest planes number eighty eight. So these are full art, uh, almost all the way to the end of the border, and uh, translucent sort of uh, graphics on top of the arch, which I think uh, actually looks really quite nice. The plains is a far-stretched, very deserty landscape, sort of rock desert, but sands as well. An open sky, cloudy, but not sort of densely cloudy there is a sun in the far horizon and and the angle of this image is a bit tilted as well like you're standing on top of a cliff or perhaps you're gliding down riding an ornithopter across these planes but I, what i want to sort of why i chose this one is that 
the rock formations in in the foreground of this of this art is sort of this twisted bend almost like deep wide scar on these rocky plains and i'm thinking this is 10,000 years after the rise of Marit Lage, when this was the bottom of the lake from whence she came and this scar was made when she sort of pours out of this deep frozen lake and this is just way way later than that when this has surfaced and become a desert because of course she laid waste to these lands so there is the Marit story in this in this plains and for the forest it's sort of a almost like I mean, it looks a bit cartoonish almost, like a sort of cartoon realistic, big, big tree trunks. It looks like a sort of PlayStation 2 game. <laughs> uh, and from this, this is like my Dungeons and Dragons aesthetics. And that's because Minsk and Boo Timeless Heroes are originally sort of fixture figures in Dungeons and Dragons, which of course is also made by Wizards of the Coast. So this is this is the the forest from where they sort of where they start their timeless adventures so i wanted to get sort of two basic lands for two of the marquee cards of the deck and put them there so i found found these in unsanctioned and of course after i did this uh, planes number 88 and the forest is number 96 once i've chosen these i noticed that our old basic land hero adam paquette (laughs) is behind both of these as well. And I have to be really honest, it's completely unintentional. I mean, of course, this this artist clearly makes a lot of land art. So if you look at newer art, chances are you're going to find art that he has done. But still, I found it super interesting that I wanted these two pieces of, of basic land art and he had coincidentally drawn both of them. Freudian pack slip. <laughs> that, that's a new low that's a new low mark for you, Christopher. But yeah, I, I think these are, are really cool. I've seen them a lot and I, I think that the styles really differ. I mean they're both made by Adam Paquette, but like you said, one looks a lot more realistic somewhat with the scars in the desert and the other one looks more cartoonish but when i see the planes i get this vibe that i really want that crossover like small set you know universe beyond whatever of dune <laughs> where they could they can yes. make shy, yes. they can make sh- shy hulud the uh, 2020 token mm-hmm. and this is where it's just waiting underground so it's it's another massive and like indestructible creature just waiting lurking under the surface i i really like that i got i got some good vibes and i was like man is smart just like shy hulud but it flies yeah like you should play this in the vermin machine <laughs> Dick, Ooh, right yeah. with the sand <laughs> yeah. convergence it's the perfect planes for that what i like with the forest it's one of the most minor details maybe but it works perfectly with both Knight of the Reliquary, Elvish Reclaimer, and especially Marit, you see there that there are these very, very light clouds yep. in this picture up there. And this could also be a shockwave. Mm. So maybe Marit submerging, and this is yep. just like a shockwave going through all of the forests. Maybe it's the forest that you sacrifice to get dark depths and make uh, unholy magic happen. Or... It's just really tall trees, which I think also goes hand in hand. Because if you're going to submerge a massive monster, you need massive trees. Of course. Right? Big campfire. How, how else? Go big how or else? go home. <laughs> yeah, like if you have a big nail, you got to have a big hammer. 
so this is just uh, yeah but i i think it's very nice and it's uh, i don't know i i can definitely see someone casting a turn one eldritch reclaimer off this forest and it would feel at home yeah i thought it was you was gonna say the thing you were talking about another forest i think that was crop rotated which had this like weird dimensional thing in it and and, and this could also be like like this this forest just landed on on the ground and there's like the dust coming up from because you just you just yeah. removed the other the other vegetation and just put the forest in here or <laughs> contraire though if you look at the plains it doesn't really look like the sort of it's a bit of a lore fail with swords to plowshares because there is really no plowing going on here man yeah. that's why we need to plow the creatures I right, mean, they right. really gotta go out and work. To, look, to work that land. Yeah, yeah I, look I, I, how little farming there there's going on. We need more farmers out there to so keep on plowing those creatures. Yeah, like this is the most waste waste that the plains I've ever seen. It's it's so dead and sinister. I I really like it. I haven't seen these plains before, and I I like it a lot. It's it has the perfect feel, I think, for for this kind of uh, magic that we're talking about here in Nyadepts. Yeah, and, and 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 sort of as you said, Christopher, this really this plains really makes it clear that every day we go without having a June universes beyond set released is a day lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would Make even I would even settle with Mad Max Universe Beyond, and these are just really fat tire tracks. It's in it's the ball is in your cart, Wizards. And that, my friends, is all we have for this week. If you have suggestions for a deck that needs its basic lands looked at, or if you have suggestions for universes beyond sets, you can make a note of this in our Discord service. There is a link in the episode description. In addition to the Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter at STHLM Legacy. We are also present personally on social media. Robin, where can our listeners talk to you? Uh, you can talk to me on Twitter at Jacka underscore Boo. You can find me there as well, not at his Twitter, but at my own, at MonolithMTG. And I'm there as well under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 67th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Special thanks to you for listening. The Great Frenes has, as always, written our music. You can find their work on Spotify. Until our next episode, remember, remember, the gunpowder, treason, and yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs>